Christians are hypocritical, and who would want to be a hypocrite? This is one of those that you can argue to your blue in the face that Christians aren't hypocritical, but you're going to have to undo this one by the way you live. Really. Um, And part of that means being honest about your failing to live consistently. Again, not in a way that you're just shameless and say, well, you know, uh, you just kind of blow it off and it doesn't bother you, the fact that you, you know, are completely, you know, say one thing and do another. No, people need to see that you really are trying and that you really, you really understand this is a deep problem and that you really mourn that and you really are trying to be more consistent. Um, What's helpful, though, for people to see is the problem with hypocrisy is not, again, a problem that, um, that isn't helped by more serious belief in what the gospel actually says. In other words, hypocrisy is one of those things that we know it's a problem. We should expect it's a problem if we believe the Bible, because the Bible says that we're sinners. What we shouldn't expect is that Christians would pretend that they're not sinners, Because Christians claim that they believe in the righteousness of Christ, which means you've given up your righteousness. Okay? Um, But again, Christians are hypocrites who found salvation through grace. And and the idea, grace means that we don't point to the fact that we've got it all together as the reason that we feel we're better than you. And when we do, we're living out of line with what Christianity actually says, right? Right? So the problem of hypocrisy is a problem not just of behavior. Ultimately, it's a problem of do we actually believe the gospel? Do we believe that we're saved by grace? Or do we need to try to pretend to people that we're better than them and that we've got it all together? Um, It's grace and the gospel that helps set us free from needing to pretend that we're something we're not and helps, helps with this issue of hypocrisy in the way we live. How about this one, the imperialism defeater? This one's interesting. Um, some thoughts here you might not have heard about, I'll, I'll give you. Um, the idea that all you Christians want are convet, converts, you have no respect for other people's views. Again, a lot of people's experience has convinced them of this. A lot of people have felt like projects, because a lot of Christians have treated them like projects. Because a lot of Christians share their faith because they feel guilty, and they feel that God will hate them if they don't. And therefore, the people that you're talking to understand that you're really doing it to get God off your back. You're not doing it because you care about them. People pick up on that, okay? And so, you know, often that's what you're dealing with when you're talking with people. There may be a long history of those kinds of really bad experiences. Um, What you need to point out to people is what Christianity really teaches and what I'm so sorry you didn't experience from the Christians you knew is that Christians are those who are supposed to have renounced coercive and manipulative ways. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4.2. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So what Paul is saying is, look, we, we plainly tell people what we believe. We try to persuade but we have renounced shameful and manipulative and secret and deceptive ways. Unfortunately, the church hasn't always renounced deceptive and secret ways. Come to a free dinner, and then at the end, now that we've got you captive, we'll give you a gospel presentation. We won't do that at City Church, and we shouldn't. And I don't care if somebody gets saved through that. It's still deeply offensive, to God. It's fascinating. I, we have this, um, there's this movie called Hell House. 
that we watch sometimes. Anybody seen this, Hell House? It's about this evangelistic haunted house that a church down in Texas puts on every year. We probably have them in Nashville, I guess. Um, where basically you scare the crud out of people and then sort of lock them in a room with a, you know, a, a sort of an army commander, drill sergeant kind of evangelist. And he basically, in this movie, it's unbelievable. This guy basically says, okay, you know, you have 10 seconds to go in this door and meet with the counselor and give your life to Jesus. If you don't go through that door, you're either saying you don't care and all this stuff that you saw tonight, all these different ways you can die by all the bad things that you're involved in, that you don't care and you're ready to face God. Or you're saying, I'm already a Christian. You got 10 seconds, 10. He literally does this, 9, 8, 7. Understand, if you don't go through that door, you're missing your opportunity to come to Jesus and be set free from what you just saw in this haunted house tonight. Five, four, three, two, one, close the door. I got another group I got to bring through here. Out, he kicks them out. And people start like cattle going through that door, (laughs) right? Now, what's fascinating is to show that at a place like Belmont and for the Christian kids to come and be sickened by that and yet try to defend it. And it's fascinating. There's always some kid who says, you know, even if I, I really hate that, I don't think I would do that. But, you know, even if one person gets saved, then it's all worth it. And I want to say, absolutely not. Uh, Asahel Nettleton, who was a great evangelist back in the 1800s, said, should we cut off the heads of thousands so that one would be saved? Do you not understand that it's important that we rightly rightly represent Christ in what we do? Paul says we've renounced manipulative, coercive ways. I don't care if somebody gets saved through it. Sure, God spoke through Balaam's donkey. But that doesn't mean we go around ordaining farm animals, right? So... You know, just because God is able to work good out of a bad situation, we don't start doing it. And you have to be able to be free to say, we renounce that kind of crap. That is not what we need to be about. Anything that's manipulative, we don't want to be part of it, all right? Now, too often, like what gets mixed into this is that so many Christians have equated Christianity with one particular cultural expression. And a lot of people have the idea that Christianity grows out of the Western European culture. Now, in a lot of ways, Christianity and Western culture get intermingled. But if you actually take a bigger, broader look at Christianity, you'll find a really fascinating thing. The Bible itself, particularly the book of Galatians and in Acts 15, condemns the idea that you would think that there's one pure cultural expression of the gospel that all other cultures need to bow to. This is what Galatians is about. There were teachers in Galatia who had come in and said, you need to be Jewish. The Jewish cultural expression is the way to be a good, true Christian. Paul says, absolutely not. That's, that's not even worthy of the name gospel. In Acts chapter 15, all of the apostles get together and wrestle with this question. And what they decide is that Jews, sorry, that Gentiles who are not Jewish do not need to become Jewish to be Christian. What that does is it means that Christianity can take a a different cultural expression all over the world. And actually, if you look at the history of the church, you find that. You find in the early church, it was mostly Jewish culturally Jewish people who were the early leaders of the church. But it's not very long until it's Africans who are the leaders of the church. Athanasius, nicknamed the little black dwarf, was an African. Augustine was an African, the bishop of North Africa. So many of the leaders at that period of the church were not European. The gospel hadn't even gotten to Europe yet. Later, the gospel comes to Europe. But even now, the, the center of Christianity in our world is no longer the West. Okay? 
So the idea, see, the really remarkable thing about Christianity is that it finds expression. It is the most multicultural religion in the world and the world has ever seen. Islam has a particular culture, no matter what country it's in. And so many other religions do. Christianity is different than that. And that's important to understand. Do you know there are more Presbyterians in Ghana than there are in America and Scotland combined? Wow. Right? We don't know that because we live in this little world, in this little part of the world. Um, I love this. Keller quotes African Christian scholar Laman Sani, who came to Belmont recently, and none of you were there. Shame on you. It was really an amazing guy. Um, but he writes this. It's fascinating. He says it's secularism with its anti-supernaturalism and individualism, is much more destructive of local cultures and Africanness than Christianity is. When Africans become Christians, their Africanness is converted, completed, and resolved. Now, he's an African Christian scholar. Okay, understand this? It's not replaced with Europeanness or something else. Through Christianity, Africans get distance enough to critique their traditions yet still inhabit them. Now, that's not always been the case. There certainly was a period in church history when missionaries felt that for people to be really good Christians, they need to become British people first. But that's not really the case now in, in, in a lot of the best missions practice in the world. And even where the... the um, you know, it's fascinating, right? Of course, even with slavery. When, Christ, when Christian slave owners tried to, or non-Christians tried to use the Bible to keep the slaves docile, the, Bible's, the Bible actually began to give them the tools to fight against it. In other words, once people actually begin to read the Bible in their own language, all of a sudden they're not dependent on the Western expression of it. And they begin to sort of wrestle with, how does this connect to our culture? How does this critique our culture, which is a little different than this culture? And all I can tell you is if you travel the world and you talk to people from other cultures, it, it, it will really put some of the lie to this idea that Christianity is merely an expression of Western cultural imperialism. It doesn't really fly when you actually look at, at the way Christianity is expressed all over the world. All right. Um, Christianity is anti-homosexual. What do we want to say about this? We should say this should break all of our hearts. Um, again, you know, this is a huge issue because... If people think that to become a Christian means you have to hate any group in our world, you can bet they're not going to be very interested in hearing what you have to say about Christianity. Um, To work through this defeater, I would say you have to deal with your own homophobia. You have to deal with your own issues and story about this issue in particular. But you also need to wrestle with the biblical teachings on sexuality. And and there's there's tension here. There's things that we wish were different, both in the way people are in our world and we don't really even understand everything about why people are the way they are. Is it environment? Is it physiology? All these kinds of issues versus what the Bible says. It's a very complicated topic. But this is not complicated. Christians should never be known as people who hate people. Not only that, Christians should never be satisfied with merely tolerating people. I had a friend once who was talking to me about a church in Nashville that he'd visited, and he said, I just don't understand. He was a homosexual Guy, and I remember him saying, I just don't understand why those Christians hate us. Why can't they just tolerate us? I said, tolerate? Christians are never told to tolerate anybody. They're told to love. What's really sad is not only that you feel hated, but you feel the best you could ever hope for from a Christian was to be tolerated. Does being tolerated make you feel very warm and fuzzy? Not me, Right? 
And so it should break our heart that people don't even hope for more than tolerance. Not only that, but they equate this with the church when they think of the church. The reality is, the reality is we have to begin to, to deal with sin and understand that in a lot of ways sin is sin. Um, and, and, and it's very damaging when we make certain hierarchies of sin that the Bible doesn't support. But again, doesn't mean that, that issues of how you express your sexuality is not of concern to God. It is. It is. And he has a right um, to say something about that. He does. And Christians, we can't get around that if we want to be tra- faithful and true to the Bible. But we need to be really careful about the kind of issues that we're saying are the most important issues. Right? Really careful. Um, Christianity makes people too sheltered. Yeah? For a lot of people, that's true. And again, this is contrary to what the Bible itself says. Uh, It's based on a misunderstanding of worldliness that a lot of Christians have. It's based on a misunderstanding of the world. It's based on a misunderstanding of sin, a very superficial understanding of sin that thinks that if you can just separate from sin that's in the world, that you'll be fine. In this regard, I always love this quote by St. Jerome lived back in the 5th century. Jerome said, I went into the desert. He became a monk, right? I said, I went into the desert to escape the lust of the flesh, and I found myself surrounded by visions of naked dancing women. (laughs) And I always loved that a monk said that. But I also love the fact that he recognized that you you can't just separate from temptation and be this wonderfully pure person. The problem is not out there. And Jesus said this, Woe to you if you just clean the outside of the cup. It's from the heart that all the issues of life spring forth, okay? So when, when people say Christianity makes people too sheltered, well, that's because a lot of people have a very superficial understanding of Christianity and the way that it relates to the culture. And for this defeater, you have to show people the difference between what the Bible actually says and what Christians do. You also need to point out that Jesus himself in his very last prayer in John 17 prayed specifically that his followers would not separate themselves from the world. Right? Do we take that to heart? Do we believe that? Um, Christianity um, really, really has got this wrong in a lot of ways. The evangelical church has got this issue so wrong that it makes it very difficult. And unfortunately, one of the greatest ironies is that when we try to separate ourselves from the out there bad world, it tends to make us much less perceptive about the sins that are in here in our community. And and I always like to talk, you know, people, you know, would talk about Christian music and how it rejects all those bad messages of that secular music. But I always, you know, defy people, go to a, a bookstore, look at the Christian records, and I defy you to find somebody who's ugly, who's signed to a major Christian record label. So, you know, the issue of beauty is much more twisted in the Christian music industry than it is in the secular industry. And we think that we're separating ourselves from all that bad stuff, and yet we're tolerating really horrendous, unbiblical understandings of what makes people valuable, right? And we don't even care because we think we're safe if we leave that stuff outside of the church, Right? So it ends up making us more worldly than we would be otherwise because we don't sort of have interactions with people who think and believe differently as sort of a mirror to look at ourselves. And we tend to actually not 
be very perceptive about the sins that we tolerate within the Christian community. So that's the great tragedy. Not only are we separated from people who are sort of in the world, but we actually end, end up becoming even more worldly ourselves. It always happens that way. Um, the church is too political. Well, yes and no. In bed with the Republican Party, yeah. If that's true, that's a bad thing. The church should never be in a position of trying to sponsor the status quo and to keep who is ever in power in power so that we can be blessed. The church should always be a culturally critiquing institution. And everybody needs to be critiqued. The political left, the political right. The church needs to clearly say that political solutions will always fall short. And we follow a very different Messiah. But that doesn't mean that the church is not connected or has implications in the political sphere. Without a doubt, it does. And if you think that the church should not ever be involved in politics, depends on what you mean by that. Um, The idea that the church should just tell Christians how to vote, no. But that the church should encourage people to connect their faith to all the issues of the day, absolutely we have to do that. We should encourage people to do that. But we should encourage people to do that critically, right? And we should never, and again, we have to be very careful what we say publicly, you know, and make, even the way we say things, assuming that everybody believes a particular way. And I think Craig does a really good job with that because you live in East Nashville, and you know, you know, you know. In some places, you can sort of make a mistake of feeling like, well, of course everybody believes this or everybody believes that. Um, we need to be really careful because that's never true, and it shouldn't be true, probably. Um, Christians are judgmental. Yeah, this is a, an unbelievable thing because Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, right? Yeah, he says in there, quote, What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? So all I can tell you is if the church is too judgmental, the church has not followed the Bible or the Apostle Paul. If the church is known for boycotting things so that we can tell non-Christians all the things they're doing wrong, how do they reconcile that with the Apostle Paul saying, it's no business of mine to judge those outside of the church? Now, this is a hard issue because you live as a citizen both in your culture and as a Christian, and there are times when you want to speak about issues in the culture that you think are right or wrong. And you have every right to do that, but you need to be very careful that you don't elevate the culture war to being the most important thing in the way you interact with people. And the church in particular needs to be very careful that we're not always going around putting ourselves in the business of judging those outside of the church. It's not our job. It's not our job. Um, Flip it over. Hey, we're actually getting through this, aren't we? I know this is a lot of stuff and you're like, oh, What's going to be over? i got five minutes to do one more page. Christians just want to exploit the world of the creation. Yeah, sometimes. And I actually talked about this a little bit, uh, maybe it was sometime this last year when I talked about the creation, biblical world and life view. The idea of being stewards of the earth is not something that often Christians or people outside the church understand. The Bible nowhere gave Christians or mankind the right to use the creation any way that they want it. The Bible nowhere supports that idea. A lot of people think that that's what the creation account is, but there's a big difference between stewardship and just carte blanche to do with the creation whatever you want. As a matter of fact, built into even the way they were to use the trees in the Garden of Eden was a restriction. You can't do whatever you want with whatever tree you want. You can't eat of this tree, God said. 
Right from the very beginning, God said, you, you're, the way you use the creation is under my authority. I haven't just turned it over to you. Now, the fact is, what's interesting is, while the church generally gets blamed for a lot of the exploitation of the earth and the creation, in fact, it's not actually the church as much as secularism that had more to do with this. Honestly, the Industrial Revolution in some ways co-opted Christian ideas and slogans and twisted them, but it was never the Christian church that was really supporting that um, in a lot of ways. Now, I, I put a book here that you might be interested in reading. I did put it on here, right? Yeah. Fascinating book by a British guy called Six Modern Myths About Christianity and Western Civilization. This is a good book to have because he talks a lot about this. I mean, I, like I like to tell people, do you know that Martin Luther thought it was a sin for you to hunt for sport? So did the Puritans. Okay? Now, I, I'm not saying that if you're a hunter that you should quit doing it. I'm just saying that Christians have not always believed that the right to go out and kill animals for the fun of it was their God-given right. For most of the church's history, they actually didn't believe that. The king believed that because he had the freedom to go do that. But most people didn't do that. And serious Christian leaders that are our theological forefathers, Martin Luther and the Puritans, thought that that was actually a bad thing to do and something we didn't have the right to do, inflict pain upon animals and creation unless it was for food. I just throw that out there for you to say that, that the way a lot of Christians just automatically think right now in their support of you know, gun rights and whatnot isn't the way Christians have always thought about this issue. All, all I raise that for is to just to give you pause to say maybe we should think about this issue both sides of this issue. What does it mean to be a good steward of the creation? Worth thinking about. Um, he has a lot more stuff in that book if this is an issue you want to explore further. In a lot of ways, actually, the roots of the modern environmental concern really are Christian in their origin in the, in the 19th century. And you see this even in somebody like J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, you, know, you know, what is he saying about um, Saruman? Uh, he's the one who's cutting down all the trees in the name of progress. It, that's, that's really, in a lot of ways, the creation gets exploited in the name of progress, which in some circles is equated with Christianity, but Christians never believe in progress and the idea of progress giving us a right to do whatever we want. That's not Christianity. And it's actually Christians that were at the forefront of critiquing that and standing against some of those kinds of ideas. Yeah. Yeah. It is true, th- this is true, that Christians should always be concerned with this physical world. Because God created the creation good. 1 Timothy 4 says it's a doctrine of demons to deny the goodness of the creation. Um, Not only that, but Jesus took on human flesh. Not only that, but the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth will be physical. Right? Not just disembodied spirituality. So Christians should always be concerned with the physical cosmos, the physical planet, because God is concerned with that. And again, you see all kinds of references in the Bible to that sort of thing. Um, The idea Christians have no concern for art and beauty and the good things in this world. Yeah, in a lot of ways, that unfortunately is true. But again, it shouldn't be true. If we as Christians cannot articulate a Christianity that makes sense of why people love sunsets and why romantic love is such a powerful force, if we can't make sense of that within our theology, then we fail to articulate a biblical understanding of the world and human beings. Because the fact is, Christianity has lots to say about why those things are so powerful. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians have considered those sorts of things as sort of secondary and superfluous, 
That's not true, and it's a denial of our humanity, which is to say it's a denial of the way God has made us, so it ends up reflecting poorly on him. Yeah, Mojo. That's kind of a recent development. Which? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the idea, of, yeah, it really is a recent, Christians not caring about art and beauty is a fairly recent development. That's right. But it's a very strong one in our culture. And in America, particularly, um, a lot of people think that Christianity, w- if it could, would stamp out art and would just give everybody Thomas Kincaid paintings. Right? <laughs> that's what you're up against. You know? If you're Christian, that's, that's Christian art, right? Okay. Um, how about this one? Christians have no concern to deal with the big societal issues like poverty and racism. Again, I, I have to say, this is something that a church, a couple of things we can do. Number one, we have to show that we care about these things, and we don't think that we're experts who don't need to listen to other people and ideas on these sorts of things. Um, Christianity really does have something to say about these societal issues. Um, and N.T. Wright, in his new book, Surprised by Hope, talks a lot about the connection between our hope in the resurrection of the body and the way that should energize us to care about justice in the here and now. What's really fascinating, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul, after he talks about the resurrection of the body, the longest chapter in the Bible about how Jesus was resurrected bodily and how we will be too, his conclusion to that is not Jesus has died and he resurrected and now he's up in heaven, therefore Rejoice because one day you'll go be with him in heaven. No, actually what Paul says is because Jesus has been resurrected and you'll be resurrected, therefore work hard right now. Know that your labor is not in vain. In other words, Paul says the resurrection of Christ bodily and our future resurrection is the strongest possible motivation for us working for justice now. And he actually goes so far as to imply that the labor we spend now working for justice will not be in vain. I don't know exactly how, he says, but somehow it will be carried over and reappear in the new heavens and the new earth. The work you do for justice now, 1 Corinthians 15, 48, says, will not be in vain. You're not just wasting your time. In other words, the reason we pursue social justice now is not just to get a hearing for Christianity. It's because God is going to use that as part of the way he brings the new heavens to the new earth. Is what you were saying, Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is actually the support for that very idea. That's a really radical idea. And it's an idea that a lot of evangelical Christians don't, have, don't know anything about and don't know what to do with. But, but what Paul is arguing there is that our belief in the resurrection of the body actually connects our future hope with the work we do now, working for justice. It's not going to just all be wiped away, and then God's going to start over from scratch. That's pretty wild. You see the same thing at the end of the book of Revelation. The kings of all the earth bring their splendor into the heavenly city. It's not all thrown away on the trash heap of history, and then God creates brand new from scratch. Fascinating. Again, not much detail about that. It's very sort of mystical, what is that going to be? But without a doubt, Paul says the future resurrection of the body is one of the strongest motivations for working for justice and beauty and truth now, for caring about the physical world now. Fascinating stuff. Christianity is just a way to uh, justify an upper middle class bourgeois life? Yeah. If it is, it's because Christianity has been hijacked. Because Christianity is not about the wise and the powerful. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 
chapter 1, not many of you are wise or powerful. Um, and when we think that Christianity should be that, or that Christianity is a way to get to that, then it's not Christianity. It's not God you're worshiping. You're using him as a means to an end. And unfortunately, we have to say that for a lot of people, Christianity is a way for them to sort of get maybe, you know, the hell question dealt with so that then they can be free to live however they want. Francis Schaeffer used to say that most people are living for personal peace and affluence. They want to be rich enough to basically be able to create a world in which nobody will bother them. And, and we must mourn that and we must fight against it. We need to preach against it. We need to get in our friends' faces about it because the Christ, Christian church cannot be seen as being about the ultimate goal of getting everybody to be able to live safe, comfortable, middle-class lives. Right? Woe to us if that becomes the case. Um, it's boring and irrelevant. Well, Christians need to lighten up and throw better parties. Yeah. It's true. And not only that, but... Yeah, I know you guys are working on it. Yeah. Not only that, but we need, to, uh, we need to be able to connect our faith to every area of our lives. Listen, you know, some people think that they have no need for anything transcendent, and yet you will always find something transcendent in their life, whether it's romantic love, whether it's cheering for their favorite team at a sporting event. There are times in everybody's life when they get in touch with something bigger than themselves. Um, Christianity, you know, is relevant to that. But you're going to have to work hard to find it because sometimes those felt needs are not necessarily right there on the surface. Um, I just say this. Sometimes you have to be in relationship with people for a while until there's an opportunity to show the relevance of Christianity. Uh, It may not be something you can just get to right off the bat. Um, our, Our truth claims attempts to take power over someone else. Yeah, it can be true, but it's not always true. And again, We're not about coercion. We're about persuasion, as I said earlier. Um, But you need to understand this. Our our world believes that you can never disagree with people in in some ways without being mean. The fact is you can't love people very well unless you disagree with them at times. Right? And you don't love people very well unless you long for them to be different than the way they are. And um, we should just, again, not so fast, thinking that, you know, Truth claims are always an attempt to have power over everybody. Sometimes truth claims are because I'm going to stand in your way because I love you. Right? And finally, Christians can't get along with each other. Why would I want to be a part of that? Again, you know, a lot of this has to do with, you know, modeling that we're not about that. That's not how we sort of get our jollies, by cutting down other Christians. It's not how we want to build our church, by sort of telling people that all the other churches are bad and you need to come to our church because we've got it all figured out. We don't ever want to model that. Um, Not only that, though, we do need to show people that some of these disagreements are because of sin. I'm talking about different denominations. Some of these disagreements are because we're finite and we don't understand everything as well as we would like. Some of these are because of temperament, even. (laughs) Some people see something in the Bible and they really ignore other things. Um, The more kinds of interactions we can have with people that see things differently really can be helpful. Um, And so, you know, again, we can mourn this, but we can say it may not be as big of a problem as you think in some regards. Sometimes this one is overblown because there really is a lot of similarity, even if while we mourn the fact that this church baptizes babies and they believe they should, and this church over here thinks it's a sin to do that, 
and we agree on so many other things, it's probably better for us to say, well, we'll have to agree to disagree and be able to find points where we can work together and pray for each other, even if trying to be all in one body would be really difficult because we have convictions that don't fit together. Well, to say then that we're completely separated is really overblown, right? And, and again, we have to try to, to talk more about the points of agreement to sort of show people that while there are different denominations, sometimes they're slightly different flavors. Sometimes even the sheer size, it's, it's helpful to have smaller connections. I don't, I don't know. That's some of my thoughts on that.